listening to Hawks Insiders, home of quality analysis, special features, match recaps, interviews, and so much more. Follow us on Substack for extended coverage of all things brown and gold. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to uh, Hawks Insiders Wednesday night safe space. I am Danny Prins. I'm behind the co-host chair this evening. Um, we have a few of our regulars missing, so the boys from the VFL have been called up to help out this evening, and we're really excited to have a bit of a chat to you guys. Plenty happening in the world of the Hawthorne Footy Club. Lots and lots to talk about. Before we get stuck into it, I want to introduce my guest co-host for this evening as the HI team celebrate their Passover Cedar tonight. Um, first and foremost, uh, AJ, Andrew Johnston. Uh, welcome, AJ. How are you, mate? Good evening, Danny. Thank you very much for having me on the show. To the boys who are off uh, observing Passover, may we say Hak Pesach to them, and hopefully it is a great event of Passover for this year. Currently watching the replay as Fergus Green's just gone back and slotted our first goal of the day. He tends to do that, old Fergus. Uh, great, to have you. great to have you tonight, uh, AJ and Nat. Martin, uh, welcome to you too, mate. Did you make it off the track in time? Uh, yeah, mate. Yeah, got off the track in time. Missed the uh, the push-up test for the end of pre-season, which yeah, I'll have to do on Friday. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes. But, yeah, uh, thank you very much for the call-up from the twos, mate. Um, I think we've timed our run pretty well, given we've actually had a win. So, yeah, <laughs> very good to be on. Well, that's the thing, right? It was either going to be um, a joyous occasion after the first win of the season or it would have gone off this week if we had a loss to the Ruse. So we were in a win-win situation regardless. And it has yeah. to immediately be said that you've called the two Tasmanians up after the first victory of the year happened to come in none other than the greatest state on earth. Yeah, well, mate, Fortress, Fortress Aurora exists. We could be the worst team in the league and we'll still go down there and win. I know it hasn't been called Aurora for 10 years, but it always will be to me. Like, I still call yeah. it your park. Yeah, well, there you go. You are from Monty, so... Yeah, no, you, you're not wrong. And, like, there's proof of that in previous seasons. We beat the, the Lions down there when they were good and we were rubbish, um, you know, and, and we didn't look like losing. I didn't think, well, other than a small period in the third and early in the fourth, uh, I thought we had control of the game. But... Before we get into it, because we are going to get your thoughts, gentlemen, on the match itself. The Hawks are 11-14-80, defeated uh, Clarkson's North Melbourne, 9-7-61 by 19 points. As you boys said, down at Utahs or Aurora or York Park or whatever you want to call it, um, down in our second home uh, last, um, last weekend. And... Uh, a great way to start our, I guess, our, get our first win on the board and, um, you know, start the season, get the season rolling. And, I mean, slightly conflicted because I've got one eye on Harley Reid at the end of the year, but also you just love to have a win. And I think if you're going to get one, one against the uh, the old master for the, for the apprentice um, was a good way to start. Nat, I want to flick it over to you to start with. What, what did you have down as some of the good out of this game? Well, I think I think the main thing that us as a supporter base and we've been extremely blessed over the years. Let's not let's not beat around the bush in that regard. It was really important for us to actually get a win. I feel like you know there's been so much doom and gloom, and we've had such a big week in the media, copying it from all angles. You know, 
Damian Barrett saying we're compromising the competition and all this absolute trash. But um, yeah, I think it's just really important for the club to actually get a win. So and to give the young fellas through there a little bit of confidence going forward as well. I think that's so important. So obviously there's that. Um, I think as you've already alluded to, I think we controlled the game throughout. I think we yeah we we really did dominate. Apart from a, a period of I thought we started the first five minutes pretty poorly. I had the, the benefit of actually watching this after um, the fact. I was playing footy on Saturday, so I watched it on Monday. Um, yeah, I, I thought we were terrific. I thought we really, really dominated at the source. That's been a real big positive for us this year. I thought there was a period of about 10 minutes in the third quarter where um, they brought Sheasel up as a seventh mid and he was getting his hands on the ball and Cunnington was matching us. And I thought really that was the only time where we didn't have control of the game. Um, I think that and we're going to have to be very creative with our forward structure. I think our forward structure worked a lot better this week. Obviously, as been discussed in the media a lot, we possessed the footy Really, really well. But what I thought we did going forward is that we actually, by using those little 15, 25, you know, metre, 45 hit-up kicks that, you know, McKenzie, McDonald, all these boys were hitting, it dragged their defenders further and further and further up the ground. And then when we turned around, we actually had two-on-two inside 50 very often. Like Brockman's two goals in the second quarter were a perfect example of that. There was one where Moore just waited and waited and waited and waited and waited and Brockman hits a little tick lead and they hit him in the goal square. Um, and I think we're going to have to be quite creative with that because Lewis ain't coming back against Geelong. Um, we're going to have to possess the ball extremely well this week, which we'll get to later on. So to go a little bit small ball, obviously Brockman brings another dimension in. Um, I think we were really, really smart with our forward structure, much more so than we were against Sydney, where I think we shot ourselves in the foot a fair bit in that regard as well. Um, as I've already alluded to as well, uh, the midfield for me has been the biggest positive so far this year. I actually think... Basically, we had one poor half in the second half against Essendon. Um, and I think apart from that, we've at least broken even in every single quarter that we've played so far. So that's a really big positive, particularly when you think the amount of young kids that were rolling through, you know, CBAs, blokes like, you know, Day, Newcomb, McKenzie, Warple, Nash, Ward, Moore, all these sort of boys. I think that's a massive positive because coming into the season without an O'Meara and without a Mitchell, that was probably the biggest um, worry for me was how much we were going to get torched in the midfield and it's just, it just doesn't really seem to be happening at the moment so that's a positive yeah I'm glad you touched on that in the positives because um, we, we've gone from in uh, centre clearances last year uh, we we sat dead last stone cold motherless last in 18th position and this year after three rounds we're sitting at we're sitting on the top so I mean, how do you explain that? Can you explain it? What's, uh, what do you put that down to? Well, I, th- I think for, for me, we're just rolling so many people through there. So they're extremely fresh when they go through. Like I've just reeled off seven names that are going into centre bounces that would all apply. I mean, Warple would be our most experienced there and Warple would play about, I don't know, 70, 80 games or something mm. like that. So I just think, you know, we're not getting Mitchell O'Meara playing 75% time on ground and then they can't really play any other position. Like, Moore can go forward, Nash can play as a forward or as a defender, and you can play half forward on the weekend, you know. They can actually play different roles and then when they go into a centre bounce, they can hit it fresh and with pace. Another thing that I probably should have mentioned before that I was really happy with is that we were tested in the last 10 minutes of the third quarter. I thought they, like I said, I thought that was the time that they were on top and they came back at us. They got the game close. And you might think watching the game that, yes, they kicked the first two goals in the last quarter. We absolutely smashed them in the last quarter. Yep. We had 13 inside 50s for six behinds before Brockman's last goal. They had an efficient entry early doors for uh, Tucker's goal. And obviously Zerhar's kicked one off one step 
from outside, you know, nearly outside 50, which... Fair, fair go I on mean, that one. Just yeah, give us a crack, give us a crack and go. Yeah, yeah he's a good just little give it to ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but like we, I mean, Meeks nearly missed the ball from the top of the goal square. Bruce kicked it, uh, sorry, kicked it behind from about 35 metres out. Green's missed two shots. McKenzie missed a gettable goal. We should have been out of sight. Like, yeah. we should have won the game essentially by... 35 points and to get tested in the way we did at the end of the third quarter and then still run out the game as strongly as we did and be clearly the better side in the last quarter or thought for a young group that's going to give them a lot of positives going forward particularly after the fade out against Essendon in round one yeah and look you always want to take your opportunities but probably long term having that ability to battle back from um you know a little bit of uh you know find finding a bit of fight put up against them and then uh getting close to, was it, three points like the, the Roos got to, and then to be able to battle back and kick away again um, will do this young side a world of good. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Yeah, 100%. But the confidence that this group will gain just from getting over the line and knowing that, you know, what they've worked on since November actually has some substance to it. Yeah. Like, let's be honest, we're not going to win a lot of games, but as long as we go and we give effort and we can see a plan and we can see a game plan, we can see kids develop, that's all we want this year. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the the thing, the other thing, before we move on to AJ and, and if he's, I hope he's got a list of bad, I don't know how much there is, but um, uh, the, the the thing that you touched on before, which I wanted to bring up was the, um, the 25 metre, you know, kicks on 45 degree angles, just to retain the ball, um, to keep possession, to allow our forwards to get creative and move into spaces um, that they wouldn't be in if we rushed the kick in. I think the most exciting thing about that from my perspective and from Hawks fans' perspective without speaking on their behalf was most of that was led by, other than Dylan Moore, was led by our young blokes. It was the Connor McDonald's, the John Newcombs, the McKenzie was terrific at it, yeah. McKenzie lost it. Yeah, 100%. If they've got... If McKenzie got in his arsenal that little sort of 45-degree, 20-meter touch kick that Mitchell is the best player I've ever seen do it ever yep. Yep. in terms of on both feet. If he can get that into his arsenal, that is such an asset. I Absolutely. mean, like, yeah. He has this incredible ability already, you can see, of just pulling his kick at the last minute so it drops into the sort of the yeah, lap into of the bucket. Leading, leading forward. Yeah, it's unreal. Into the bucket, yeah. 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 Uh, Mitch yeah, Lewis yeah. is going to have a field day leading up to him when he's uh, been firing. Now, AJ, we've kept you waiting for a long time, but before I get to you, I want to say tonight we want to have as many people asking questions as we possibly can. So if you have a question, if you have a comment, if you just want to hear your own voice on a podcast later on, um, please request to speak. We will get you on here. Um, we want to make this as interactive as possible. So jump on, uh, have your say, tell us who was good, tell us what you liked, tell us what you didn't like, um, have a crack at Lloyd Meek for that shot on goal. Uh, he deserves it. Uh, but before we do that, maybe I've taken AJ's thunder. AJ, give us the bad, mate. What was there that we weren't happy about out of this game? All right, let's start with the most obvious bad. Will Day, there's only one of him. That's a very big negative for this football club. I would like 22 of him, please. Now the actual bad. Um, Fade-outs, they continue to dog this side. They've unfortunately been a constant under Sam Mitchell is going an extended period, a quarter, or in the case of Essendon, a half of a game of football where we don't score goals. And unfortunately, that happened again on Saturday around that third quarter when North started to play a little bit better football. We had another fade-out. That's going to be a constant point that this club's going to have to work on in the next couple of years as they start to advance. One thing that it didn't grab me the first time I watched it, as you two know, I didn't watch the game live. I was at work, so I watched the replay 
when I got home and I've gone back and watched the replay again since was our lack of capitalisation on a lack of North Melbourne pressure in the second quarter. I thought North were witches' hats at points in that quarter. And I don't think we were anywhere near as attacking as we could have been and we didn't take advantage of that. We probably could have kicked away well and truly into the second quarter where no matter what North did in the third quarter, we'll probably have to put the game beyond doubt. I don't know how everyone else views that, but that's kind of how I've seen it since. I just thought we probably could have done a little bit more. I I agree. I mean, North, they actually mentioned it on the broadcast, North had 16 tackles and a half. Like, I mean, I I play ammo footy in Melbourne. If we had 16 tackles and a half, we'd get absolutely the the strip, you know, the paint stripped off the walls for us at halftime. But to do that at AFL level, that is, like, horrific. That is so bad. So, yeah, look, let's... It was. I will preface this by I've mentioned a lot of good. North were bad, so you are you're spot on with what you're saying. Yeah, yeah I think and to, I, if I can jump in here to uh, pinch a tweet from uh, Hawks Insider's very own Darren Levine, you would hate to be a wall in the club rooms at uh, in the North Melbourne club rooms after the game. That's how bad North Melbourne were on the weekend. And I definitely agree with that. And I think that's you know we were desperate for a win, and we're all glad we got it, but. There's also not much you can read into that win because, as you said, North were horrific for most of this game. They had patches where they were pretty good, um, particularly in that third quarter. But for the most part, this was not a good North Melbourne side. And North, you know, North aren't going to contend this year, but they're not playing awful footy in the first two rounds. They played pretty well against West Coast, played pretty well against Fremantle as well. So we were probably expecting more from them, and we didn't see that. So you can't read too much into how we played as a side, and I think that's a really tough situation. Um, Other than that, I've watched through this game a couple of times. I can't find a heck of a lot of positive... uh, Excuse me. I can't find a heck of a lot of negatives. But those two really stood out to me, is that we desperately need to start capitalising when we have the opportunities. And we've had this continuing pattern of a dropout, and that's not something that's new for us to talk about. I think... Whenever Hawthorne supporters are talking about this side, they talk about it every week. It's just this form dropping off for extended periods of time. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's uh, completely fair. And probably the um, the hallmark of a, of a young, inexperienced side uh, is that inability to hold your concentration for the full, uh, I almost said 90 minutes, thinking it was a football match, uh, a soccer match, but... Um, for that full four quarters and give that sustained effort. And I think we see that uh, and we saw it last year. Um, and I think that's part of the learning process will be how does Mitchell get the concentration levels, the effort levels, the fight levels um, for more than, you know, a quarter or a half or three quarters and get it for a sustained period. Because when he does that, um, that will bridge the gap uh, that we uh that, that we have between where we are now, along with talent, um, to where we want to be making finals. Can I just add Can I just add one thing? I'll, I'll put it in my, in my notes on Monday night watching the game. I, I think, and it was actually mentioned, I think Brad mentioned it the Monday, uh, sorry, the, the player ratings podcast, we've got to be getting more out of the two Ruckman in yep. the air. Like, we have to be getting more out of the two Ruckman in the air. Like, me dropping that mark from Newcomb in the second, uh, first quarter, sorry, first quarter, where... He's gone back and look, let's be honest, he's, he's probably expected the contact to be coming the other way. You're six foot a thousand and built like a brick, you know what? You've got to be catching yeah. that. You've got to be going back and catching that. But like we need, because we have no tall forwards basically at the moment and Fergus is trying his guts out, but you know he's undersized and there's no one to help him. If our Ruckman drops back into a hole 30 metres out, you've got to be strong and take that mark. And 
particularly with McAvoy was so good at it too. We were blessed for so long. He was such an aerial threat at both ends of the ground. For them to be taking, I think they took one mark each. That's we need to be getting more out of them in the air. I think their clearance work has been pretty good. I think like around around the footy at the source when the ball's at the deck, they've been pretty good. But aerially, we've, we've got to be getting more than two um, marks out, and particularly this week against two big talkers. If I was going to be really nitpicky in terms of negatives, I'd probably almost put Lloyd Meek on there. I think he had a bit of a dirty day. It's and that's not a huge negative. He's still. I'm still pretty happy with Meek's output in the first couple of weeks, and I think that'll continue to grow as he gets more adjusted to this lineup and who he's hit, who he's tapping to, and also what his role's going to be. And we're going to expect him, as you said there, Nat, to play that McAvoy role a lot and be able to get back and take marks. But I mean, as we also know, he did try and kick a goal halfway to Ravenswood, which didn't go particularly well. I've no idea where Ravenswood is, but I'll take your word for it. Um, it's, it's literally straight on the line he kicked it about, about 20 yeah, days away. Yeah, yeah, there's a railway museum over that pocket, and he was trying to kick it into one of the exhibits, I think. <laughs> uh, a couple of comments uh, from the field. Uh, Doc Mansell, uh, I know it's one win, but I have a newfound confidence that our young boys can get a few more wins this year and no longer guaranteed to be finishing last. And Tim... Yeah, but that means, that means no yeah, Harley, uh, though. So we'll just keep yeah, that in mind. It's all temporary excitement about wins this year. Uh, and Tim Keane, uh, can we all agree Scrimshaw should never play VFL again? Defence looked way better with him in the side, particularly his mate CJ. Thoughts on that, fellas? 100%. That defence just... And this is the thing. You guys may not agree. I think we'd probably be relatively on the same side here. I think our defence in the last couple of years has been the glowing thing about this side. Yep. This, the setup of our back line this week looks so much stronger with Scrimshaw there. And as you mentioned in there with CJ, it, it's freed up CJ. I think he was leading disposal getter on the ground in the first quarter because he had a bit more of an opportunity to run and play his natural game because Scrimshaw was playing the role that we've been forcing him to the first couple of weeks. So 100% Scrimshaw is a huge addition, massively changed the outlook of the defence. Yeah, 19 touches for I mean, CJ up to half-time. I mean, Scrimshaw is just a good footballer. Like, I, I, once I had a bit to do with him, I didn't really. I worked at the Sandringham Dragons when he was an underager there when I was going through my degree. And he's just, he's always been a good footballer. He's always been earmarked. I think he was a top 10, like six or something for the Suns. Like, yeah. So he's, like, he's just a good footballer. And, like, we need him in there, particularly if we're going to go down this path of just playing Frost as the tall defender. Um, we're going to need a team defence of Scrimshaw, Sicily, CJ, you know, going third man up and, you know, causing spillages, causing stoppages, taking intercept marks, particularly this week against the Cats with the two twin towers down there. We just need him in the team. And he kicks the ball really well. Like he's a beautiful left foot kick. So he can start a lot of those attacks that we need to possess, playing this possession style of footy off halfback. He's, he's a gun and he shouldn't be playing there. It's a again. good, it's a good segue to one of the last talking points. I wanted to get your opinion on fellas. Um, Going in with one tall defender, one key defender in Sam Frost after both he and uh, James Blank got a bath last week against the Swans. Uh, I, I was concerned. I think a lot of us were concerned. Um, but they were, they were phenomenal. That team defense you talked about, Matt, was so good. And the ability to chop out for your, their teammates was, was phenomenal. What does this mean for our young key backs, Blank and DJB, who are outside of the team at the moment looking in? Is it sustainable or is this going to be a week-to-week proposition in terms of playing one key defender? 
There's a good segue. We just had a comment from the field as well. It just said from Mick Cowan, said uh, Frost and Blank or DJB as the lockdown option can't be in the same team. The back six has to be Sis, Dimmer, CJ, Impey and Scrimshaw and then obviously one of those three. It's pretty hard to argue at the moment. I mean, I can't really see I can't really see a way in for Denver at the moment, which is a little bit concerning. Um, I think we obviously need Frost this week because I think he's the only bloke that can go athletically with Cameron. I couldn't possibly drop him after the weekend. I thought he was actually terrific. So... Yeah, it's it's tough. I, I don't know. Look, I'm I'm not particularly sold on James Blank. I know there might be people that disagree with that, but I, I think we fi- we have to find a way to try and play Denver. I just don't know how he fits into the current back six because I think if you look at our side on paper in terms of you know experience, in terms of the mix, I think our back six is clearly our best line. So. Yeah, it is going to be hard for Denver to get in, which is a little bit of a concern. I am the complete opposite of you, Nat. If you give me a choice out of Denver and blank, I'm taking blank every day of the week at the moment. I'm yet, uh, I know that from what I've heard, DJB's started really well for Box Hill, and I've heard that there's a lot of confidence around there. But to me, that's an even better reason to keep him out of the team, not rushing him in because he's had a couple of good games when you can set him up to play some good footy make sure that his confidence is high in his own game and that's when you bring him back into the team. So I think you leave DGV out a little bit longer. Um, I think you have to... And the other one thing there, though, is are we really playing against two key athletic tall forwards this week? I was listening to something Lee Matthews said on 3AW this morning about Tom Hawkins where he said he is, if you're being mean, he's old and slow. And if you're being nice, he's just unfit. He's kicking six now yeah. that you said that. And that's the thing. It's He's like, 100%, 100% kicking six now that you said that. Yeah. I didn't say it, Lee Matthews did. Um, yeah. So <laughs> you have Frost go with Cameron. As you said, the athleticism, and we saw it on the weekend, and as we usually do, you live by Frostball and you die by Frostball. Sam had some great moments. Sam had some awful moments, and you just have to expect that. But I think if you're going to bring someone in to try and go with Hawkins, you definitely need to go with Blank in that situation. And you rotate those players that you've just mentioned, this really good back six, you, maybe you move some of them forward. We know Jarman Impey can play forward sometimes. We can, we've even seen Scrimshaw go forward from time to time. So I think that opens up an opportunity of using multiple guys in multiple positions this week and trying to match, particularly with Geelong, who have some, still got some really good rebounding defenders. So maybe you send an Impey forward instead and use him as a defensive forward. Or Hardwick. I mean, Hardwick was actually quite good when he went down forward against Essendon. He actually, in his underage year at Eastern Rangers, he kicked 58 goals as a small forward. So 100%. he does have the craft to do it. I just think he's, I don't know if, he, if he's too valuable as a, as a back six member to send him forward. But then, you know, if you do want to bring in another tall defender, you have to send someone yeah. forward. So, um, yeah, it's a good conversation to have around team, uh, match selection, put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. I think um, for me, my two cents with Blake Hardwick, he's probably our only real lockdown small. Um, so I think he's too valuable in that back six for, 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 for as far as I'm concerned. I'd rather find somebody else like Impey or somebody uh, who can go forward and, and play that role. I do think we need to probably look at what our options are because if we get stuck with Sicily on, on Hawkins, even though he could go with him early, I think he'll get killed just in terms of pure size if they isolate him in the in that, in the goal square. So um, they're, they're going to need to have a look at how that's going to work and, and what options they have. So um, yeah, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. I'm glad I don't have to do selection this week for the Hawks because I think it's a tough one. Nobody deserves to get dropped, but you probably don't have the exact right balance in the side at the moment in order to 
uh, not make a change. But, yeah, well, I guess we'll, we'll wait and see. Wok puts an interesting one in the chat there, boys, about this by saying Hawkins is nowhere near 100%. Play Scrimshaw on Hawkins and hurt him on the rebound. If he kicks three goals, we're still ahead in that matchup. I'm not so sure about that personally, but it's definitely an idea. Yeah, look, I'm, I'm open to anything. Yeah, I probably think that physically Hawkins might have his way with him uh, if we play Scrimshaw on him. I, then I'd rather Sicily, at least, you know, to try to go with him. I don't. I still don't think... Look, we've got to give Hawkins his dues. Uh, you know, even though he might not be 100%, he's incredibly crafty uh, tall forward. He has the ability um, to make others better players and there aren't a lot of key forwards that are just as are as good as him at making those around uh, around him more effective. So, um, yeah, like Nat said, he'll probably go ahead and kick six. We'll lose by 80 and uh, we'll be wondering why we only played uh, Sam Frost. The other thing in terms of a tall, and you talk about him being crafty there, Danny, is that you do need to play a tall on him because Tom Hawkins is, one of Tom Hawkins' greatest strengths is how he plays the ruck in the forward line when there's stoppages. He's unstoppable in that situation, usually sets up goals for Geelong, so you kind of want someone who can go with him in that situation. One thing that I had in my um, notes as well for this week, just um, getting away from the back six just a little bit, is that I actually agree. This is on the play ratings pod as well, and I 100% agree. Um, we didn't have a role for um, Finn McGuinness after LDU yep. went out, and he just sort of floated through the game. And look, no disrespect to Finn. I, if he's not in there to play a lockdown role, he isn't in our best 22. So I think this week there is a really, really obvious role for him. And I think he has to play as a defensive forward on Tom Stewart. 100%. Particularly if we're going to, if, if we're going to go in with an undersized forward line, um, which we are, obviously, and we're going to play a possession game, they will be sweating on putting pressure on us coming through the mid-third of the ground, getting us to turn the ball over by foot, and then looking to launch every single attack off half-back. And we need someone to do what Jager O'Meara did in the last quarter against him last year and just go to him and just take him out of the game. Like, he came in last week off an MCL and had 27 possessions. It was probably one of their two best players. So he's an absolute gun. He's the best rebounding defender in the league. If we can take him out of the game and get on top in the middle of the ground... I don't think we're going to win the game, but we can give ourselves every single chance of winning the game if we do. I that. had him going to Guthrie in my mind, but nope, you are spot on. That is a far better use of him. And Geelong, we talk about our forward line being undersized, but we also need to remember De Koning's not going to play. He's um, went off with the HIA against Gold Coast and has been ruled out under the percussion, uh, concussion protocol. So that's a huge blow to Geelong in terms of their size and the way they line up and match up on our side because we know how good of a footballer De Koning's become. Yeah, he's a gun. They will get Collar Jasney back. I don't think Jack Henry will play, but I'm pretty sure they're getting Collar Jasney back. So he's, he will probably like he's, he's not a good he's not as good a player as De Koning, I don't think, but he'll probably cancel out De Koning. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see what they actually do. To be honest with us, because there's really, I mean, the only tool we really need to match up on is Green and potentially the resting Ruckman. So it's going to be quite interesting on what they will actually do in terms of their back six setup as well. Is that where you potentially look at one of the the forwards, uh, the back six, and I use Impey as my example, that you potentially send Impey in a defensive role to College Ashney as well? I mean, you, you could do. I You could do. I... 
I'm a little bit hesitant on having two of our sixes defensive roles. I think you can really only afford to play one defensive forward because we still got to try and keep a score at the same time. So I mean, you could, you could. I think Stewart's the one you've got to think about first and foremost. Um, but yeah, I mean, we've got to try and find a way to try and kick 12 or 13 goals. I don't think we can kick any more than that at the moment. And then obviously got to try and find a way to limit them to less than that. So yeah, trying to get us to kick a score um, is probably the most important thing. So if we had two defensive forwards on their back, I don't know if that would be as much of a possibility. But it is, I mean, it's something you could go to mid-game if someone was getting off the chain. Yeah, I, I tend to agree. I think uh, it robs Peter to pay Paul a little bit there if you've got two defensive forwards. Um, plus, you, you stifle too much of your creativity. You need you need Connor McDonald's and Fergus Greens and Luke Bruce and... Uh, Dylan Moore and got Tyler Brockman, guys like that, to be able to operate, um, yeah, in that in that space. And if we keep putting other defenders, defensive forwards in there, that that takes away that opportunity. Hey, let's um, let's transition. Lots of comments in the in the chat, which is great. Um, thank you to Mick um, for his comment on uh, Frost and uh, Blank or DGB as a lockdown option. Um, also mentioned that uh, Cameron plays like Buddy. He does a mobile mobile forward, so you need a mobile defender. That's why I think Frost is the perfect option for him. Um, and, yeah, Doc with a couple of comments there as well on our defensive setup. So, um, yeah, really appreciate it, guys. Also request to speak and jump on and have a chat uh, so we don't get sick of the three of our uh, voices. Um, as we move on, the next point I wanted to, wanted to get your opinions on, fellas, was um, – over the course of the first three weeks of the season, the emergence, uh, and that's what we're calling it, the emergence of Will Day as a genuine midfield option and what that means in terms of his uh, time at Hawthorne, his impending contract decision and all of that sort of things. Uh, Nat, what say you on uh, Will Day? I mean, I think he's been clearly the biggest positive of the season so far. I I didn't think... I was a little bit hesitant. I think he's got the footy ability. I think he's a lovely reader of the play. He's got good hands and he's a really, really nice kick. I was a little bit concerned that he didn't have the body for an AFL midfielder. He looks but bigger though, right? He's, he's, he's really come on. Yeah, he's really come on. He's bigger across the shoulders. He's tough too. I mean, he got Ooh. absolutely... Yeah, put into next week by Logan, bounced straight back up. I mean, he's taking hangers in the middle of the ground. He's a bit like, I don't want to get too much into hyperbole here because he's not probably not going to be as good a player as a bloke who's won two grand lows, but he's got that like five he build. The he's got that sort of, that, that yeah. wire, yeah, wiry sort of, but strong five build and that hard to tackle sort of, sort of build. I mean, his ability to hunt the footy and win clearance and then break away out of stoppage, which he's done quite a few times, particularly on the weekend, has been, Terrific, and let's just hope he um, doesn't get too much attention from the Crows or Port and uh, can sign a contract pretty shortly, which from the noises that are coming out of the club is a much more likely possibility than not. So, And someone, I can't news. remember exactly who it was, it might have been McKenzie, said something pretty similar to that point this week, that you know it's, it's tracking along nicely in terms of getting him re-signed, and we're seeing a lot of other signatures, so maybe that can be one. One name you mentioned uh, comparing him to players, a guy whose name got thrown up by Nick Del Sano on AFL Nation on the weekend was comparing him to Scott Pendlebury. So he has, he has, has that um, that spatial awareness and that ability to find space mm-hmm. in tight that um, very few people have. 
I don't know. I'll read you, I'll read you a quote from uh, Del Sano on the weekend. He ha- will. He has a skill set like few others, Field Hawthorne and possibly few others in the AFL. He's as talented as anybody, but he's also working hard and getting his hands on the football. I think that's a f- fair fair way to summarise the way that Will's played. And I think the exciting thing for us and everything that, that you boys have mentioned is, is what gets Hawks fans excited. But... Also, that ability to use the ball well with both hands and both feet. There aren't a lot of uh, players that um, that kick the ball as well on both feet, and and to add that with the rest of the tools that he has, good in the air, reads the ball well, wins a cl- wins clearances when he's in the middle. Um, you know, t- good in tight. You know, that ability to not get tackled, uh, and and yeah, the being laid out the way he did by Griffin Logue, and literally not flinching at all and getting back up. And getting Nets disposal was just was just unreal, and that's the sort of stuff you want to see from your emerging leaders. And I think I uh, I think I tweeted it on the weekend, and I, it it rings true. Every ga- every good game that Will Day plays from here on in, he's putting extra dollars uh, zeros on the end of his contract at the moment. I said to you boys in our group chat that we have when I was watching the replay on Saturday night, I said we had two A graders in this team: Dylan Moore and James Sicily. And I'm now adding Will Day to that list because I genuinely think he is an elite caliber player. Whether he's always going to deliver that week in and week out straight away, and that might take a little bit longer before he's delivering that every single game, but genuinely putting him in the A grade category for me. I I will say, I'll, I'll be very, very surprised if he leaves. I mean, I think we've got a very good vibe at the moment with the young fellas. They all seem to get on like an absolute house on fire. Like he's extremely close with Dylan Moore from the looks of things, who's currently the vice captain. He's got the family connection with Hawthorne. His father played in S71, uh, sorry, his grandfather, sorry, played in S71 premiership. You know, he, we, we've stuck by him through some couple of injury uh, riddled years. And then we've given him the opportunity to play in the midfield and be a really, you know, big part of our, our, our build going forward. So, I'd be very, very surprised if he did lead. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you on that one, Nat. Uh, Patrick, always good to have you on board, mate. Um, have you got a question or a comment or what would you like to Oh, do? just a yeah, comment. Great. Although I've got another couple of comments after that. I was just going to say, uh, I'm sure, AJ, if you keep buying that I, the uh, ISC gear, you might pay for his contract <laughs> as well as uh, as well as Carl Amon's last year. Fantastic. I love a sledge of a guest co-host. That's fantastic. I mean, is it a sledge? It's extremely accurate. It's facts. Just straight facts. I was going to say as well, with the uh, Box Hill releasing their gear, how many Guernseys have you bought already? Yeah, I'm I'm tipping... AJ sent, I think, about 14 different images into our WhatsApp chat as we were preparing for today's, and I think 13 of them were the Box Hill gear. Um, so I... It's it's that 2001 Premiership one that the seniors wore as an ANSEC Cup jumper that I had when I was, whatever, I was six years old when that came out. Well, I've been looking for that ever since. I'm going to need to get my hands on that. Absolutely. As as well, as I put to Ed Sill, it would be cool if they could incorporate it into all the gear into the, like, at least physical Hawks Nest door. So when you go in and, like, into Waverley at least, then you can get Box Hill gear as well as instead of needing to go to Box Hill games. If anybody can make that happen, I've, it'll be I've been out to Alberton a couple of times when I've been in Adelaide because I like to go to Adelaide a couple of times. Um, Port Adelaide do exactly that. You can buy all their Port Adelaide Magpies stuff through the Port Store and that's a really good way of doing it. So 100% on that, Paddy. Fantastic. Thanks for your contribution, Patrick. As well as the other thing was as the uh, chief thing we up. Op- 
officer I am, it was very exciting to see in the release from the club pictures of it and to finally see that it's sort of starting to get going. So that was very good as well. Any any insights or comments on that other than it being absolutely exciting? And look, Patrick, I, um, you've jumped the gun here a little bit because we had that in our run sheet, but a little bit further down. Uh, but I'm glad you brought it up. Um, AJ, the member update email uh, came out earlier this week. Um, your initial takeaways from that email? I'm going to be perfectly honest with you. Actually, I only skimmed over it and didn't really read it yet. So I'm not going to be much good talking on that. Except for to say that the first thing that jumped out at me, and I'm not going to, I swear I'm not going to turn this into a Jeff Bash because that's not what I'm doing here. But what jumped out at me is that in the past it's been an update from Jeff and Jeff's told you his Jeffrey things and all the stuff that the president wants to say. And the first thing that jumped out to me was Andy spoke, Justin Reeves spoke, Sammy spoke, Beck spoke. And having Beck um, say something in the week of the draft, I think is great because it provides you a little bit of, well, here's where our mindset's at as we go into draft week. So that really stood out to me more than anything was that, uh, Andy didn't want it to just be, hey, it's your president here to tell you what I want to tell you. It's like, no, I want to get the whole club on show and let you understand the inner workings of where we're all at. And Sam broke down a bit of the media circus that has been around the club. And I think we've all been, you know, a lot of us have been making jokes about tanking and things like that. But it's not easy when you see your footy club put in front of the media and especially when you hear comments like, I think it was Barrett who said that they were compromising the competition. And that stung because it's like, how dare you say that about my club? And how dare you say that about our players? Because what I take away from that is that's not a, you're suggesting that we've done a lift rebuild because we all agree with that. But when I read a comment like that, that says to me that you're suggesting our players aren't trying. And I was insulted by that as a supporter. I'm like, I guarantee you, the 22, 23, however pl- many players are out there each week are trying their hearts out. And I was genuinely insulted on their behalf to read something like that. I'll make you feel better. Just imagine Damo sitting on the couch at home in the last five minutes after Dill Moore's put that one through and tugged the jumper, absolutely seething at the fact that we'd knocked his kangaroos and off. The funny thing- he would have been absolutely seething. And it's just it was beautiful, beautiful mental image after the absolute crap that he was going on with last week. And the funny thing is, turning journo brain on for a second, because that's what I do for a living, Caro and Damien Barrett, who are two of the people who really whacked our club, are two journos I actually have an utmost level of respect for. I think they're really good at their jobs. But it's hard when you're directly involved, and we are, whether we're not, you know, we're not employees at the club or anything, but we are all directly involved in what happens at Hawthorne. We live or die by it in many ways. And when you hear those things, it hurts and it's hard not to get vitriolic and spew bile when you hear comments like that saying, how dare you insult my club like that? In, in a, another joking way, are we just happy after if we win this week to just shut down the season and go for Harley Reid, though? I mean, if we were going to pick two, te- two games to win other than the Bombers round one, it's probably last week, last weekend and this weekend, right, boys? I wouldn't mind either of those victories. But as for shutting down the season, like, let's all be realistic. I don't think we've got anything to worry about there. I did tweet after uh, Jack Lacocious kicked a goal from Rabina against the Cats that um, if we send them all on four on Easter Monday, work won't expect to see me until Thursday. <laughs> um, I'll preface that by saying I don't think we're actually going to win, but 
Jesus. I'd, I'd, oh, yeah, if we if we knock them off this week, my God, just imagine the amount they'd cop next week. Absolutely. Uh, flat track, Paul, you've got a question or a comment for the boys? Yourself off mute. A question. I know we take things one week at a time, but what do you reckon is a pass mark after round six for the Hawks? That's a good question. Uh, Nat, what do you reckon? Yeah, it's a tough question. I mean, I I think this week that we'll probably go down by about six goals, to be honest. Um, I think we'll try pretty hard. Um, we'll probably be in it until about half time, and then they'll just slowly, slowly pull away from us. Um, look, I after that, we've got uh, the Giants over at Norwood Oval, which about 12 people will go to in Gather Round, and then we've got Adelaide in Monty. Look, I, I think we there, we could win one of the, the two games, either Adelaide in Launceston, we beat them down there last year, um, or we could beat um, GWS, so I actually don't think they're going that well uh, over in Adelaide on neutral territory. So, look, I I would think if we win another game and we're two and four and we don't get belted by Geelong, that I think that's well and truly a pass mark. I, I would even be happy, you know, with three honourable losses, to be perfectly honest. I, I just want to see continuous development, I would like us to win games. I'm not particularly fussed if we do. I think it's good for the development and the confidence of the group. I think there are two winnable games in round five and round six, but I think if we're two and four, that's a massive pass mark. Yeah, I, that's the exact number that jumps out at me is two and four is a pass, I think. I, I, that's actually harsh because, as you said, if we you know, lose by a couple of goals to Geelong, that's probably expected. And then if we have very close games against GWS and Adelaide, and I think both of those sides are better than us, that's not a fail for me. So one in five doesn't sound like a pass, but one in five in the right context is a pass. Yeah, I tend to agree. That's that's the point I was trying to get at. You just articulated a lot better. I think if we if we show a lot of fight against the Cats, which you know every supporter that's you know gone through the last 15 years against these guys we don't want to get belted in this game we want to we want to show some fight and we want to scrap and we want to give our supporters a bit of hope and we want to be in the game but if we don't win I'm not going to be incredibly upset like I would have been you know five or six years ago against this lot but yeah if we if we go one and five but we have three really good honorable losses and someone else shows a development or plays a career best game or you know someone kicks another bag of goals I'll be pretty happy with that as a supporter for where our, our club is. Right How now. much confidence do you take in to Monday off last year's result? And that keeps getting thrown up saying Geelong won the flag last year. They probably hadn't started well. I think they started better last year than they started this year, obviously. But we should never have been a chance to beat Geelong last year, and we did. So does that bring you any other confidence, or do you look at it and say, oh, Mitchell was there, O'Meara was there, McAvoy... Oh, no, McAvoy didn't play. Um, but... Mitchell was there, O'Meara was there, Mitchell Lewis. was strong. Yeah, Reeves, Reeves was dominating and did his shoulder. And um, it also, look, and I, also helped having um, Kaczynski there because Kaczynski on his own doesn't seem to fit. But Kaczynski, when Lewis is in the team, seems to be a relatively strong fit in that forward line. I took a lot of confidence out of last year because I think it was one of the few times last year where the old boys really got us across the line in that game. Like Mitchell went full Tommy Mitchell mode in that game. I think he had... 30-plus, and he was big a couple of times in the last quarter, a couple of big clearances um, and the like. I think Bruce kicked us a couple of goals. So, 
I mean, yeah, I, I don't take – look, I, I take a little bit of confidence out of it. I think our best chance on the weekend is to make sure that we have to start well. I know that's such an obvious thing to say, but we had three goals on the board last year before Geelong had even touched the footy. If we start well and we're in the game, and the longer we're in the game on the weekend, the more the fact that they could go 0-4, and we've got a lot of belief after last week, could play more into the game. Look, I think we're about a 15% chance of winning the game, but – the longer we're in the game, and if we start well and put them on the back foot, and particularly if we're going to be even with them around the footy, which I think we're every chance to be, there is a world where we can win and we can put a lot of pressure on them. I just, I just think it's more likely, uh, unlikely than likely. Fantastic question, um, flat track, Paulie. Appreciate your input tonight. I want to pivot. Um, we had multiple reports come out um, this afternoon that Mitch Lewis has had a setback in his recovery from his knee injury. Um, and then about 15 minutes later, we had images and then uh, video of Mitch Lewis on the track uh, with the main group at Hawthorne Training. Um, what do we take from that, boys? And, and what are your thoughts on, A, the delayed return of Mitch Lewis, his importance? And, um, you know, obviously he just warms our hearts that, uh, that Lewis is back on the track with the boys and building towards his uh, season debut? Well, the injury list has come out since then. He's still listed at round six to seven, so that means no Geelong, no gather round. So Lonsus in Adelaide at the earliest. I feel like they wouldn't pick him for that just to keep him off the plane for that extra bit of time. I know Melbourne to Lonsus is not a particularly long flight, but anything you can do to... Keep his, keep his knee in a better position for as long as he can probably works out. So you're probably looking more the round seven mark. But that's the thing. The story seemed to come out very, and very quickly. They put the video out almost as if to say, no, 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 no. This is what's actually happening. Don't listen to that rubbish. Yeah, I think I'll, I'll put my physio hat on here for a sec. I think um, given the, the unusual nature of his, of his injury being an ACL strain as opposed to, you know, obviously the full rupture, I think they'll want to get a really solid three-week block into him. So I think they'll really want to – he'll do, obviously, basic skills and stuff for the main group this week, and then they'll ramp him up into a lot of quick running, and then they'll get him into contact and that sort of stuff. So I think they'll want at least two full weeks of full contact before they think about playing him, and they might have been playing for a half in the VFL. So I think potentially the round – Eight game maybe against Frio would be a little bit more likely for him to play in the seniors. He might play VFL the week before. The big concern with that, though, is that's a flight to Perth. It is, but, I mean, you know, if we go over there on Friday, I don't think that's too big an issue. I mean, if it is if it is a worry, you can play him in the VFL that week and then play him against Melbourne. So the week after, which is at the G. So I, look, the, as long as it takes for this, it it. His health and getting his knee through this season, we are going to see him in the first half of the season. I, I don't think there's any need whatsoever to rush him back. Obviously, we're a much worse chance of winning games without him playing, but we do not want to rush this and bring him back early. I would like to see him get a big conditioning block in with a lot of contact and get confident in the knee again before he's playing AFL. Absolutely agree. And Nat, I'm sure you put your hand up to follow him over to Perth if he needs some extra physio support, I'm sure. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely, I would. He's actually, I mean, I don't, I don't know the bloke, but he's sort of a mate of a mate of a mate. So I'll try and, um, I'll try and work my back channels to get the to get the inside word for the next time I'm called up. I met him at a Box Hill game a couple of years ago, boys, and literally he was more interested in getting people to meet his dog than him. Like you went up and say, "Hey, Mitch, how's it going?" He's like, "Great, this is my dog." 
he just seemed like the sweetest guy out there. There you go. Insights you would never have got if we didn't bring these boys off the bench. Thanks for that. Uh, that's the that, that's the uh, that's the cutting edge stuff that you get with uh, the two Tassie boys caught up. In the I'm going to throw it to Mick. Mick, one of our regulars. Um, you got a question for us tonight, mate? Yeah, just I happened to see training today, um, and not hearing Mitchell's press conference before um, watching him train. Lewis ran up and down on the wing, and then went into the latter part of the ball movement stuff. And you wouldn't have picked that he had an injury. He was moving much more freely than he had the week before. So it was quite interesting when the media stuff came out later in the day. Um, I guess, obviously, you know, a lot of a lot of the media outlets don't get, get down and actually watch training. So they're, they're, their information's generally old or fed from somewhere. So, um, yeah, I think... But it was Mitchell's comment at the press conference that set it off. That sparked it, yeah. And look, if you think and that about, was before training. And if you think about how Mitch has been with this, um, Sam Mitchell, I mean, how he's been with Mitch Lewis's injury from day one, he's put it. He's been conservative with his comments around it the whole the whole way through. And um, Mitch Lewis had even come out after Mitchell Sam Mitchell had said something in the media and said, oh, "I don't necessarily agree with Sam there." Um, but they're, they're clearly playing it very safe. And like Nat said, they're not rushing anything. Um, get him a few games before, you know, the halfway point of the season. But really, um, it's not about this season for Mitch Lewis anymore. It's about um, building up the strength of the knee so that there's no ramifications long-term. Because the last thing we want is for him to come back early, not have the stability in the knee and, and, and do an ACL. And then he's out for, you know, 12, which turns into 18 months um, because of the timing. So, um, yeah, I, I, it's great. It's, it's fantastic to, to hear that he was moving um, incredibly freely uh, at Waverley Park uh, today. But, yeah, I, I feel like it's just Sam Mitchell maybe trying to be as conservative as possible so as not to get anybody's hopes up, including Mitch Lewis's. No, I agree with all of that. The other one was Wingard. Wingard only ran for about oh, half an hour in the rehab group yeah, and then went the- off. There's got to be something more to what we're hearing, I think, with Wingard because, um, you know, Peter Burge spoke on it in the the injury report and said, oh, we thought he was tracking well and then he kind of told us, I don't feel feel great. So they're going to take the the conservative approach with him too because we just know that since he's crossed the Hawthorne, his body just continues to fail him uh, and they're not going to want to put him out there and then be a man short because his body wasn't right to go. And I think at the stage of the development that this list is at, um, it makes more sense to, you know, just hold him over and play Brockman again and get Butler in the team if we can and um, give some of these guys that are going to carry our team forward uh, another go um, and, and more opportunity. So, um, but they, it, it's probably a little bit concerning. I would have thought, Nat, that um, a one-week uh, one week injury pro- looks like it's going to balloon out to three to four, you would have thought. Yeah, it is. I mean, it sort of, it sort of speaks to the fact that he's obviously had some sort of setback somewhere um, that we haven't heard about. He's obviously retwinged it again, and they've, they've tried to... Um, tried to sort of do the classic Hawthorne injury list thing and sort of not really tell us about it and so he's close. But one week, look, one week muscle strains are very rare anyway in my my experience in my job. So uh, maybe the initial injury classification was a little bit um, a little bit uh, of a lie. <laughs> I didn't want to make that sound too brutal, but let's call it what it is, a little bit of a lie and, 
we're sort of getting to the point where it is now. Look, look to be perfectly honest, he probably is in our best 22, but, like, who does he, who does he come in for this week? Like, if you're going to play McGuinness as a defensive forward against Stewart... There's no obvious... Who does he come no in for? No. Like, Just yeah. on that, do you reckon McGuinness as a defensive forward Stewart would have any respect for? You know, so McGuinness makes a lead. Is Stewart going to go with him? Because McGuinness isn't a great kick either. That's the other issue. We, we we tell him we tell him if he's if he's if he's open we we tell him to kick it to him to make him accountable. I know he's not a great kick. I know it drives me insane. I totally agree. But, but he's got to run to the I right spots he, too. And he's he's he only played yes, he does. He's played yeah. defensive midfield and halfback flank. I would say or, or wing. I would say yeah. Mick. I would I'd, say that the idea of playing Finn as a defensive forward is not what we want to get out of him on the offensive side. I wouldn't even care if he doesn't lead at all and he just stands there scragging and just messing with Tom Stewart's ability to impact another contest somewhere else. So we don't need Finn to kick a goal. Any, any positive impact he has on the scoreboard is, is, a, is a happy bonus. But what we don't want him to do is get in the way of Tyler Brock, Brockman getting a kick or uh, we don't want sorry Tom Stewart to get in the way of Fergus Green, Tyler Brockman, Luke Bruce and Dylan Moore getting the footy in dangerous areas. So Finn's remit would be go, go to Stewart and do not leave his side, not even to lead for the footy when we've got the ball. But if left... Finn gets eight to ten touches and Stewart gets fifteen, that's a win one that's way. But a left field suggestion on a Bruce. Well, that is, that's very left field. I don't reckon he's ever played that. Look, I mean, he would have the experience and the discipline to play it. But do you do you want to take away um, a sure? fire goal threat when we don't have a lot of them um, to, you know, sacrifice his game um, in order to stop Tom Stewart. I'm not sure Mitchell would be confident enough that we could kick a winning score without Luke Bruce contributing in the goals against the Cats. But if Mitchell Lewis was playing this week, you'd absolutely look at that, but without the other options forward, I I don't see that working. But where does Bruce get most of his goals recently is crumbing the pack. That's true. Yeah, it is true. So... Yeah, he hits the pack, and if Stewart goes up, Bruce stays down, there's a fumble, and that's where you know they've got to crash the pack to, to knock the ball down. That's what they did well against North. You know, the big blokes didn't actually. Green did it once, Meek did it a couple of times, you know, and that gave us the opportunity to kick goals. Brockman, there's one down at the right of screen where Brockman got, and the other one where Mc, Connor McDonald at the left of screen, the first goal. That was a peach of a, a rogue, yeah. by the way, by Conor McDonald. Mick, appreciate your input as always. No worries. Thank you so much. Uh, Dan, um, you've requested to speak as well, mate. Do you want to unmute yourself and jump on and um, ask a question? G'day, guys. I've got three questions, if Absolutely. I could. First, uh, first one, is Connor Nash in our best 22 slash part of our future? Second one... Um, Sorry, I lost my train of thought. Uh, the whole Harley Reid pick, you know, if we were to finish last, potentially get him or a mega deal from another club who wants him as opposed to finishing, say, 14th with six wins. It seems a fairly cut and dry answer. Although, you know, finishing 14th and six wins gives the fans a bit of hope for the future. Um, the other question I had was around Jekka. He sort of showed promise as a forward and a defender. Where do we see him? Yeah, great, great questions. And thanks for your input, Dan. I'm going to throw the first one 
the Connor Nash question I'm going to throw to uh, Nat, and I just want your input on that, Nat. And, and before you jump in, we need to preface it by saying I think this last weekend was clearly one of Connor Nash's best games for the footy club, and it was his uh, either equal or career high in disposals in an AFL game. So on the back of that, Nat, what, what, what have you got to add to that uh, Dan's question? Yeah, I'm conflicted with this. And when my mates listen back to this, they're going to laugh because I've been a uh, pretty large Connor Nash non-believer over the years, it's fair to be said. But I will say I thought he was really, really good on the weekend. He's, I think he plays a role at the moment in our best 22 because he is extremely physical and he is a bigger body in there. He's a really, really good tackler and he's good getting the footy in close. I think he's improved his, his disposal quite a lot too. So to answer the first part of your question, is he in our best 22 at the moment? Yes. Do I think he is in a premiership midfield winning team? No. So I think he's playing a role for us at the moment. And I think he'll probably end up playing another 50 or 60 games for Hawthorne. Is he part of our absolute best long-term future? I'm not so sure. I'm happy to, happy to have the debate, but... I can't fault him after his game on the weekend. I thought he was really, really good. And it was one of the best games, as you said, Danny, that he's actually played for the club. Yeah, and I think that role, and there's a couple of comments in the in the chat as well, about clearing a path with his big body, his huge frame, um, for the, the younger, more inexperienced and maybe less bulked up midfielders that we have. Um, he, he's able to do a lot of that bullocking work along with Jai and, and Jimmy Warple. And, he, and he, he definitely has a defined role. I'm not the biggest Conor Nash believer either, but I, I can definitely see the value in this team as it's constructed right now, especially comparatively to uh, the role that he did or didn't have in last year's team when we had the Mitchells and the O'Meara's as senior bodies. So um, I'm going to throw the next question uh, on Emerson Jecker to AJ. Um Defender or forward, what's your opinion on Emerson Jekka? And do you think that, based on his Chad Wingard-like injury history, um, does he have a future in, in, the, Hawth- in the Hawthorne team? Um, I, I think we came up on this uh, trade time uh, on one of the inside safe spaces where we were talking about Jekka and people talking about this the, the brilliance of Emerson Jekka as a defender. And I was coy on it at the time saying, hang on, he's played three games. Yep. We were talking about him like he was an All-Australian at the time. Um, the big problem for me is obviously the injuries. He does seem to get hurt a lot, and that's really unfortunate because we might never truly see what he's capable of. I think from the little bits I've seen him at AFL level, he does look more at home in defence, but we also haven't really had an opportunity to see him because he's been kept out of the side by a number of different players, and you would love nothing more than for him to be fit right now to play as that sole key forward in the absence of Mitch Lewis. And Sadam's like, all right, you've got five or six weeks. Go out and show us what you got. Yeah, and I think the the injury just keeps – the injuries just keep coming at the wrong time for him. He, he, he probably had an opportunity to play as a key forward, um, especially with Cosy being so out of touch early, early this season. Um, but It's got a bit of – if I can throw back to the glory years of 2008, it's got a bit of the Tim Boyles about it in that – when you see him, you say, oh, there is something there. You just can't get him on the park yeah. to really see it. Yeah. 
Tim Boyle's a um, supremely underrated footballer too, by the way. I, I really He's very good. I really very like good. Tim Boyle. Um, and then the last one I might uh, might uh, answer was on Harley Reid. Um, I think there's two trains of thought in relation to how the Hawks play this season out. I think if you look at it from a fan perspective and, you know, that those fans with a real desire to to win every football game they're involved in, um, looking at the short term, sure, six wins and finishing 14th, um, that's good. And, look, there is some real long-term benefit to doing that too. Um, as Nat touched on earlier, getting these young players winning experience is incredibly important. I think if you look at a generational talent um, that potentially offers something very different to any of the other players you have in your football club. If you look at the great teams, the premiership teams, most of them had an explosive goal-kicking midfielder who could go forward, a Dustin Martin, a Patrick Dangerfield, um, you know, that type of player. Um, Harley Reid has all the hallmarks of being one of those players. Now, pick one is no sure thing. If you go back through the, the years of um, pick one's, uh, a lot of them don't pan out or they don't end up being the best player in the draft, um, you know, but uh, I think having access to somebody like Harley Reid would change the fortunes long-term of this, of this footy club and would give us, um, you know, a real yeah, generational talent to be able to put into this side. And uh, you can never have too many top picks. So um, it's a really, uh, three really great questions. Uh, Dan, thank you so much for your contribution. There was a question in the chat uh, and from Glenn Tom- Thomason, uh, which is a thoughts on Box Hill. Um, who's the next cab off the rank? And in particular, do you see Seamus Mitchell getting a chance in defence anytime soon? I'm going to jump in and answer this one early on Seamus Mitchell. I am a Seamus Mitchell fan, and I think I'm still of the belief that Seamus Mitchell will make it at AFL level. Um, but in our chat to Ed Sill, we did a Box Hill uh, VFL sort of season primer um, a couple of weeks ago. She can jump on the podcast and listen to that. Um, he actually talked about Seamus needing where somebody like um, Sam Butler or Tyler Brockman or, um, you know, even Josh Weddle has one breakout game, then um, they'll be heavily looked at by the Hawks to play in the AFL. Um, with Seamus, just because of his lack of runs on the board at VFL level, he kind of needs sort of four to five games, a little bit like what AJ said with Denver, uh, four to five games just to... Um, get his confidence up uh, and then get belief from the coaching staff that his body's up to it, that his ability's up to it and that he can go and play at that level. But um, who, uh, AJ, would be your next cab off the rank at Box Hill? Um, keeping in mind that they've only had one AFL game so far, a VFL game so far this season. Um, who do you like the look of there? Have you seen any um, VFL yet? And um, who tickles your fancy? I, I have to admit my, my knowledge of the VFL system is probably a little bit limited. So I'm probably not the best person to to answer that question. But uh, as is the thing, I, I'm interested more often in the show me players. Like we mentioned Granger Barras in there because we're looking for him to show us a little bit of what he can do. And I agree with your assessment on Seamus Mitchell is that that's what I want to see out of the VFL. I'm not looking for immediately for a guy to come out of there out of nowhere and say, hey, look at me, I deserve to be here. I watch it more for the guys who I think have a little bit in them and say, well, show it to me so that I know that you've got something in you and I can have confidence that if you get up into the seniors that you're going to belong. I'll jump in. I'm really keen to see Cooper Stevens at some point. I'm really, really keen for him to get a run in the ones. I don't know... 
Who's spotty tape? Maybe McGuinness at the moment um, is probably the obvious one. If there's not an obvious run with player that we can go with in a particular week, so potentially against someone like, I don't know, like a GWS, there's probably not a dominant midfielder like Laird, I suppose, to a degree with Adelaide. I'd love to see Cooper Stevens get a get a go in there, particularly given that our midfield's actually going okay at the moment in terms of the, the raw hard sort of statistics in there. So I'd be really keen on seeing someone like him because I think he's got an AFL-ready body that could come in and make a difference, a positive difference pretty quickly. Probably not easy to bring him into the team this week, but it would be fun. It would be. And he, look, he managed uh, eight or nine games for the Cats last year in a, in a would-be premiership side. So um, he's obviously got the ability to impress them at VFL level. And I, I, I think it's only a matter of time before he gets some games um, at AFL level here. But like you said, um, I don't think anybody would have pegged it pegged us with this at the start of the year, but the midfield is probably the hardest line to break into at the moment, which uh, which I never thought I'd say. So um, I'm going to throw it to Whitey, uh, friend of the program. Um, take yourself off mute, mate, and uh, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Just listen to everyone talk about the Harley Reid Cup and all that, and you're talking about him being like a generational type midfielder. I don't care if we've got the generational midfielder, but unless we get someone to kick forward, it to yeah, I hear yeah, we need a generational key forward to help Mitch Lewis out when he's injured because we're starting to get the ball out of the centre, but we've got no one to kick it to. No, it's a it's a fair point, Whitey, and um, and look, you know, I think a, a little bit of a little bit tidbit of information on our uh, potential father sons for the end of this year. Obviously, we have heard of. Culture uh, Deer, who's playing at the Sandringham Dragons, um, he has started okay in the in the um, Coates Talent League, and he had a good first up hit out. Uh, a little bit quieter on the weekend. Um, but Will McCabe, who last year played a centre-half back and on a wing uh, in his seventeenth uh, in his 17-year-old season, is playing at centre-half forward for Central Districts in the under-18s Sandful. So that might be one to keep an eye on. He kicked two goals um, in the first week of the Sandful under-18 season and had, I think, 15 or 16 touches. So... Um, he might be doing a little bit too much and he might be pushing himself up the order, Whitey, but um, he might be the one that we're able to grab and have ties to so we can, you know, match a bid on at any at any point that uh, that the bid comes in. And any concerns about him potentially staying in South Australia, which, you know, some might suggest that a player is playing well Not in Adelaide anymore. might want to stay in Adelaide. Well, his dad's now the football director of the football club, so that might just help us out a bit. Absolutely. I appreciate your comment, Whitey. Um, We're going to wrap it up shortly, but I wanted to finish on some great news that we've had out of the club in the last uh, couple of days. Uh, Contract extension, Nat, for Connor McDonald, uh, one of your faves. Um, What were your thoughts on that contract extension handed to Connor? Yeah, no, I'm very, very, very pleased with this. I really do like what Connor McDonald brings. He's got that that ability to make things happen that you sort of not a lot of players can sort of do. He's got that little bit of silk about him, like, you know, that sort of a clean one-handed pick-up or like that goal he kicked on the weekend where, you know, he's picked it up, taken sort of two or three zigzag steps, got his way through a pack and kicked a snap from 25 metres out. He's the sort of bloke that we don't need to get 35 touches to make an impact on a game. He can really make an impact on a game having 20 um, yeah, no, I'm a big, big Conor McDonald believer and that he signed on till 2024, yep. I think it is. is a really, really good step in the right direction. So, yeah, keep the, keep the re-signings coming. And keeping on the re- the re-signings keep on coming because we've uh, we've signed Max Ramsden to a two-year contract extension, 
extension, if I could speak. AJ, your thoughts on that as a and Ramsden as a longer term ruck forward prospect? Love the big boys. We do. We like seeing the ruckman start to develop, and, and that's a good sign that you know, relatively early in his development, the club's already taken the confidence of saying, yeah, we're. We like what we see and we're going to give you a couple more years. As we know with rucks, they typically don't really develop properly until that 26, 27-year-old season. So there's a long time left before we see what he's truly capable of, I think. But that's when I see Ruckman in particular get signed early, that fills me with confidence because the club's like, well, we see something in you and we're willing to invest in a player that it's going to take time for us to know about. Yeah, and I think uh, Ramsden shapes as the as a real game changer for the Hawks because um, their good side, their three peat side, had that um, hybrid ruck forward who could really hold his own uh, in the forward line as a forward, a David Hale or a little bit Ben McAvoy at the end there too, um, or play um, chop out minutes in the ruck, say five minutes a quarter or, or whatever was needed. And I, I have a feeling based on what I've seen of Ramsden and the conversations I've had with people around Box Hill, that they really feel like this guy could be that player for the Hawks in the future. Now he's raw, he needs time, but he athletically he's phenomenal for a player of his size. Um, his agility, his um, pace, his endurance is elite and he has that ability, um, and he's done it once or twice in, in box, at, at Box Hill, uh, where he's turned a bit of a, a half of a game on its head just through his ability to go forward and kick goals as well. So he's one to keep an eye on. He might get games this year, uh, but really he's one to keep an eye on in 2024 and onwards. Thank you for your um, input, fellas. And that gets to the end of our Twitter space for this evening. Um, thank you so much to everybody for listening. Uh, Thank you for your contribution in the comments. Um, For those who jumped on to speak, I want to say a huge thank you to my fellow Box Hill boys. Uh, AJ, thank you so much for jumping on, mate. We really appreciate it. Go the Stangers. And Nat, thank you so much for racing back from your football training to get on here uh, and and just uh, grace us with your inputs and your takeaways from uh, last week and, and heading into the Geelong game. Uh, no worries, mate. I'm not sure if I'm gracing anyone with anything with these uh, so-called insights, but no, I appreciate the uh, opportunity to come on. So it's beautiful. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you are not already a Hawks Insiders subscriber, uh, we've got plenty of great content, including this pod, which will drop tomorrow morning. Um, but we would love for you to uh, subscribe. It's only $5 a month or $50 a year um, and plenty of great content that's dropping there coming uh, in the near future. So thank you guys so much for joining us and have a great night. This was another Hawks Insiders production. Make sure to subscribe to our Substack for wall-to-wall Hawthorne Footy Club coverage.